0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to be talking about Judas Iscariot today. That is a name that is notorious in world history, even to non-religious people. He's known, uh, if nothing more than a literary figure. Of course, being in the New Testament and a disciple of Jesus Christ, he was very real and did live, and I think he's often uh, miscast and misunderstood, and I don't mean To suggest that we're going to take a sympathetic view of Judas Iscariot today, uh, but I think he's misunderstood and misused in the religious world as uh, an example of predestination. So I want to talk about uh, the character of Judas Iscariot and what the New Testament says about him and what lessons we can learn uh, from Judas Iscariot. You know, in the passage that we find the 12 disciples named, Judas is always listed last this judas iscariot there were other uh, disciples named judas uh, there were two disciples named judas two named simon and two named james and so it gets um confusing but judas this judas iscariot is always named last and in every instance that he is named there's always a brief characterization the same epithet follows after his name every time uh the one who betrayed him is what matthew 10 says and mark three it says of Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him and then in Luke six sixteen the one who became a traitor. And the Apostle John in his gospel further describes Judas Iscariot as a devil in John six seventy and a thief in John twelve and one who is motivated by Satan in John 132 and verse 27. And this and Jesus calls him the son of perdition in John 1712. So that you know is just The, I think, well-known, typical snapshot from Scripture of who he was and what he's known for. He's known as a traitor. He betrayed the Son of God for money, and it led to his death. And then he ultimately, Judas ultimately committed suicide. You know, as one of the, you know, he, but nevertheless, he was one of the disciples who was handpicked by Jesus. Yet he will forever be remembered for having done one thing, and that is betraying Jesus. Betraying Christ, but because again of the numerous misguided teachings in the religious world, I think about predestination specifically or predeterminism and the free will of man, I fear that we might be tempted to think that there was never really any other outcome for Judas. There was never any real potential for him to be faithful um even we might even conclude, regardless of what his intentions may have been or any conflicting intentions that he may have had, that his destiny was always sealed before he was ever born. And he was just powerless to change it. And I don't believe any of those assertions are true um, because of what the New Testament teaches. Not only about Judas as an individual and the events surrounding him, but just what the New Testament says uh, in um, specifically about our uh, the nature of man and the nature of choice and how sin uh, affects us all. And so that's kind of a shotgun statement, I know. But let's just go back to Mark chapter 3 for just a moment and go back to the beginning here. Where the scripture says that Jesus summoned those whom he himself wanted. If you look in the parallel account of Luke, you'll see that Jesus spends an entire night in prayer before he chooses these 12 men uh, that were, would eventually become his apostles. And, and Judas is, is certainly one of them. And, you know, if we're just looking at Mark chapter 3 and we're looking at Luke 6 and how Jesus is, is praying all night. And I'm persuaded for, he's praying for wisdom to choose the individuals who are going to represent him to the world. I don't believe that Jesus desired to have a traitor in the midst of his closest followers, any more than he does today. He doesn't want any of his people to become traitors. And I believe that was just as true then as it is now. Uh, His character doesn't change. He is the God who doesn't want anyone to be lost uh, 2 Peter three nine. He wants all people to come to repentance. And First Timothy two four teaches he wants all men to be saved, and come to a knowledge of the truth. And that includes these individuals whom he chose, and, and everyone that he taught in the first century when he was on earth. And you think about this other point too in Scripture that we see none of the men that Jesus called to himself. You know whether you're talking about Peter, Andrew, James, John, any other twelve disciples, none of them were tried and true men when he called them. In other words, none of them were were without sin. Everybody sins, everyone is beset with weakness and flaws, and each of these men had them. And you see this in Peter if you go to Luke chapter five and verse eight, when Jesus is is calling Peter to follow him. In other words, he give up the fishing business and come be a full time disciple of mine and, and go with me wherever I go. And he was gonna basically under training and to be to be a teacher and to be an apostle and and take the gospel to the world. What Peter's response is, I I, I mentioned Luke five because Peter's response when um, Jesus performs the miracle and and tells him how to catch fish, this causes Peter to recognize Jesus is um, sin from God, that he is powerful, and I uh, I don't know to what extent, at least at that point, Peter understood Jesus' identity. But what we do know is that when he gets out of the boat and he comes back to the shore. He falls down at Jesus's feet and he says, "Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man." And so Peter is acknowledging his own sinfulness uh, to Christ, and that's a uh, that's a great example for us. We see his his humility in that, and that's something that we have to continue to be willing to do, as Peter was, be honest and humble before God, and confess our sins to Him. And this is what Peter is Peter is doing. So, you know, there's other verses I think we could point to, but certainly. This one shows Peter understood he was a man beset with sin and weakness also. Um, you know, we I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that Judas sinned in betraying Christ, but he was no more sinful than the other men. Uh, he was human just like the, the rest of them. You know, we when we consider each of the other disciples, they all had personal failings, and they all went on to lead faithful lives, and they all, by the way, ran away from Jesus when he was arrested. Now Judas facilitated that arrest, but when the time came, you know, when Peter had said that he was going to stay with Jesus until the end, he he ran away too and denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. Is that not a betrayal? And so, you know, all all of that to say they all had their personal failings and weakness and they're well documented in scripture, but the majority of them, so far as the record indicates, went on to lead faithful lives of service to the Lord after his ascension, after his resurrection. Uh, after they had deserted him and and, uh, and in Peter's case denied him that he even knew who he was. And so, is it so far-fetched then to believe if those men had the same troubles and sin as, as Judas did, um, is it so far-fetched to believe that Judas could have done the same? Could he have not turned around and also led a faithful life of service? Could we not see in the New Testament letters bearing Judas's name? You know, isn't it interesting that Scripture never gives any indication that Judas was a failure in the early part of Jesus' ministry? You know, if you go to those passages in Mark 3, verses 13 through 15, and Luke 9, 1 through 6, and verse 10, when Jesus sends them out, um, what those passages tell us is that Judas was among the faithful. He was an obedient disciple in every bit as much as uh Peter James and John and all the rest Andrew Bartholomew and all the ones that Jesus had called as they go about preaching the gospel and they go about performing miracles and making all the same personal sacrifices leaving their homes and their families right so they're so they're all in this together and there's no indication there that Judas was not engaged in that work from these scriptures, I think we can conclude that there definitely seemed to be something of worth in the man Judas Iscariot. That he did have potential, and that he did, at least for a time, um, was obedient to the will of Jesus, or at least tried to be as, as much as the other disciples. But as we've already said, and the scripture points out, Judas, like all men, had a weakness. Weaknesses, plural, is what we should say. Again, we we all do. And it was ultimately his failure to deal with that weakness and be honest about it that led him, I think, to betray the Lord. That he chose his flesh and and to try to satisfy his, his own personal greed rather than sacrifice that and suffer with Christ. Scripture tells us that Judas was... The group treasurer. So, as these men went about teaching and preaching, they uh, were supported by uh, were supported financially by different people apparently, and uh, they had a, a common uh, purse or fund. And so, Scripture tells us that Judas was in charge of those funds. In, in John chapter twelve and verse six, and uh, in John thirteen twenty nine, there at the Last Supper, um, when Jesus tells him to go and and do what he's going to do quickly, the other disciples think that Jesus says this because he has the money bag and so he's going to go out and buy supplies or something something like this. So um, th- there seemed to be a good number of people supporting these, these men financially uh, but unfortunately Judas allowed the temptation of his greed and love for money to get the best of him. And he stole money from that collection that they had in John 12 and verse 6. Uh, John says that he was a thief and he used to uh, take money out of their treasury and I guess spend it on stuff for him, stuff for himself. You know, and Judas's own words, confirm what John says about him in Matthew 26 and verse 15. When Judas, when Judas goes to the um, the Pharisees, he says, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? All right, so he was always gaming. He was always looking for some angle to get uh, some extra coin in his his pocket, and the the scripture says that they weighed out for him thirty pieces of silver, and in Judas's mind, that was enough. His love for money drove him to commit terrible things: to lie to his friends, to steal from his friends, to betray his master. And the 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 fact is, the fact is, is that it can do that for anybody. In First Timothy six. And verse 10. If that, you know, if it wasn't true, we would, if that wasn't true, that statement that I just made, we wouldn't have passages like 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. So Paul is writing to this uh, young man in in Ephesus. He's preaching there for the individuals in Ephesus, and, and this is what he tells them, the, those who are who are wealthy, and that's relatively speaking. He says, the love of money is, a, is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs and he says you flee from these things you man of god and pursue righteousness godliness faith love perseverance and gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses and so he says in verse 17 if you drop down there he says instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy and instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that, which is life indeed. Right. So that's a long statement, you know. and there's a lot to chew on there and to process, but essentially Paul is, the implication in all of that is, if you have money, you're going to be tempted to misuse it, and you're going to be tempted to be greedy. But instead of doing that, Paul says, don't hoard it, but use it, be a wise steward, be a faithful steward of it. Don't put your trust in it, but rather in God. And use it to serve your family and to serve others and to serve God. right? But Judas's love for money drove him the opposite direction. He became a coward. He sought how he could betray Jesus. In Luke, in, in Luke 22, in verse 6, it says that he sought that he, how he could betray Jesus apart from the crowd. Right? So... He knew what he was doing. He did it with eyes wide open. He was deliberately, willfully choosing to satisfy his own greed. In John 13, it says that he chose to deliver Jesus by night, in verse 30. And so he acted hypocritically, and he acted calculatingly, and he sought an opportune time to betray Christ. And he did so during the Passover feast. And he acted he acted the part so well that none of the disciples suspected him. In John thirteen, twenty-seven through twenty-nine, right? They you know, even even though Jesus, when we look at that scene and we can't understand because Jesus is practically spelling out for them who it's going to be, and then he tells Judas to go and do it quickly, the disciples are thinking, you know, it can't be he can't mean he's gonna betray him now, here. He's he must be Saying, "Go buy some stuff for us. Buy some supplies or something." And then, you remember in Matthew's account, they um, each of the disciples, when Jesus reveals one of them is going to betray him, they they say, "Surely it it can't be me that's going to do this." Right, and there I think there also is another lesson for us that they were willing to have um, a, a level of introspection and and honesty that said, yeah, "I have the potential to do this. I I have the Jesus is saying I have the capacity to do it." So that means. I could be the one that he's talking about. And Judas was also callous in his betrayal. Remember how he chooses to identify Jesus to those who come to arrest him. It's by kissing him in Matthew 26, 48 and 49. So, we we see all that in Scripture and we ask, how could a man with so much potential turn into such a villain and betray his friend and master, especially when all the while the men who were his brethren were succeeding under that same master, right? He was with these guys for three years all the time. And yeah, again, they were all beset with weakness. They all had sin. But yet in, in John 17, as Jesus is praying for them, he's gracious in saying that they have kept my word as he's speaking of these individuals. These individuals who would argue about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom, uh individuals who had fiery tempers and wanted to call down uh, lightning upon people, James and John specifically and so but but Jesus notwithstanding those things says nevertheless they've they've kept my word, All right so they're moving in the right direction, they're growing so what's the deal here? Well, just as Judas's sin can be directly attributed to his failure and weakness, so can our sin be linked to the weaknesses we fail to overcome, that we fail to push back against. Each of us as Christians has the potential to achieve great things in service to the Lord, or to fail him and crucify him anew, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 6 and verse 6, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse 6. In other words, we, we have the ability to choose God's given us that capacity, and that power of choice is the is the significant part of determining our destiny and This was no less true with Judas. James tells us in James one verses fourteen and fifteen that each one is tempted that means every person each individual is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust then when lust has conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth death so lastly remember you know consider judas's response when he realized what he had done all right so we see that that cycle in james and this is universal for everybody that when we sin it's because we are being tempted and being tempted in and of itself is not sinful right because even jesus hebrews chapter 4 teaches us that even jesus was tempted always and as as we are yet he was without sin, so temptation is inevitable it happens to everybody, including the Son of God, but he never yielded to it and that's what James is talking about when when one is tempted he's enticed he's drawn away he he allows himself to be lured away and then it manifests itself first in a, a desire you know we keep entertaining the thought and we and soon that grows into desire and then that gives birth to the to the sin and it manifests itself in action not that the action in and of itself is sinful even the desire and the and the want and the, the attitude is sinful too and then when it's accomplished it brings forth death whether we sin in the heart or whether we sin with our hands or words or whatever the case may be it always bring for, brings forth death but that doesn't have to be the end of the story this is, this is a critical part because what James describes Describes has played out in all of our lives and will continue to do so. There'll never be a point when we don't need the blood of Christ. In fact, John says that sinlessness is so far out of our reach and is a certain impossibility that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First John 1, 6-10. And so we have to continually confess our sins. Now, we... We strive to avoid sin. John isn't giving us an excuse to sin. But it's just acknowledging the reality. It's just an explanation of human nature. But John will go on to say that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to remain in that state. We can have the attitude of, of humility before God like the the publican in Luke 18 who was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven and he was beating his chest, and he was acknowledging to God that he was a sinner and he needed mercy. Now, in light of what that individual does, now remember Jesus says in that context in Luke 18 that the publican is the one who went down to his house justified. In other words, forgiven and made right with God. But you think about Judas's response when he realized what he had done, when he knew that he had sinned in Matthew 27, it says that he felt remorse, that he felt bad. And I think that it's noteworthy that that word is different than repentance that we read of in the New Testament. And so he goes, he feels remorse and he goes and he returns the 30 pieces of silver. Remember, the chief priests and the elders refuse it. uh, In Matthew 27, verses 3 through 4, he says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. So he acknowledges that he's done wrong. And then Judas decides to go from there and end his own life by hanging himself. The, The Greek word that is translated felt remorse or regret is uh, metalomi, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, but it literally means to care afterwards. And I think this gives us some insight into, into Judas. You know, in the text, when he realizes the full extent of his actions, he simply wants them to be undone. And he felt distressed because of how things turned out. And we might say, well, that that's that's a good thing, and and to some extent it is, and and those attitudes I think to some extent are are incorporated in repentance. If you look at Second uh, Corinthians seven, this what Paul says an, an avenging of doing wrong and this zeal and, and earnestness. You you see some of that in, in Judas here, and he's wanting to undo what he's what he's done. Um, but if it's just that, that attitude alone, that then those actions alone differ from, I think, true biblical repentance, which is an entirely different word. And I don't think it's by accident that repentance is never used of, with regard to what Judas does, metanoia, which is a sincere change in heart and mind. You know, commentators have debated as to which best describes the state of Judas after his betrayal but i think the words used speak volumes and and really it's academic i think because the bottom line is what we we can be sure of is that god is able to save forever those who draw near to him through jesus christ in hebrews 7:25 that there's no there's no sin too great that his grace cannot forgive and that includes what Judas did. Paul testified of this using himself as an example. You remember his words in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16? What he says about himself, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, so that in me, the patience of Christ might be shown. Now, I'm paraphrasing that, but think about that phrase that he uses with regard to himself. As the foremost of sinners, was Paul worse or too far gone or without hope than you know, than anybody else well no i but nevertheless he was not he was able to find salvation in Christ then again, I think looking at peter's part in the story we have to we find comfort there you know when the when peter tells jesus in luke 22 and 23 that he is going to stay with him until death to prison and to death and jesus tells him that before the night's over you're going to deny three times that you even know who i am and we see in luke's account that when peter did that for the third time apparently he was with within Sight of Jesus, because the Lord, it says, Luke says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter when he denied him that third time, and Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. So we see some overlap, I think, in the reaction between Peter and, and Judas. He's he's immediately regretting what he's done, and he's 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 running, right? He, uh, but there's other other things going on. Peter could have reacted the same way that Judas had all the way through and just gone out and ended it all. But I think what makes Peter different is not that he never made a mistake, because he certainly did, and that's been well established, just as Judas did. And it wasn't that he always got things right. It's the fact that he never stopped trying to do the right thing. Or as Judas said, I'm too far gone and just gave up and went out and hung himself. In other words, it was a matter of faith. No matter how terrible the mistake, he always repented because he knew that his master loved him and that he could come back and find forgiveness. But he had to humble himself, just as we all do. Jesus said Judas perished to fulfill the scripture in John 17, 12. But the Bible is also clear that Judas turned aside from his ministry and apostleship to go to his own place in Acts 125. so prophecy foretold there would be this individual who would betray the Lord but scripture also reveals that it was his own choice to do so who abandoned his service and his apostleship to go to his own place simply because God knows something will happen does not mean he determined it. And so does with Judas. Even after accepting 30 pieces of silver, even after kissing Jesus as a sign of uh, the, to, to mark him for the conspirators and, and betraying him and, and breaking his master's heart, even after all of that, stealing from his friends, lying to his friends, playing the hypocrite, after all of that, things could have been different for him he could have chosen a different way and it's a tragedy that he didn't as much as it is for anybody who doesn't You just ruined his potential by succumbing to his lust for money and ours can be ruined too if we at any moment become satisfied with our sin and tolerant of it we have to continually Evaluate ourselves and examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians thirteen five. And prayerfully read the word of God and let it expose our hearts and confess our sin to the Lord. Trust in his grace and forgiveness. Because if we're unwilling to do that, we're just, we're just betraying him and we're going to our own place. We're hardening ourselves into a position of condemnation. And eventually, we just turn our backs on him and pursue worldly things altogether. Or maybe we end up making the same choice Judas did just to end it all. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's not the system God set up. And he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so while each of us has potential, and the scripture acknowledges this, we can waste that potential as well let's end with one more passage it's one of my favorites in 2 Timothy 2 uh, because it shows the great crossroads that all men are at and Paul is speaking here I know to a young man and, and uh, predominantly about Christians but he's he's giving this by way of explanation of um, these two individuals Hymenaeus and Philetus in, in the passage who were disciples And now they have become unfaithful and they're no longer walking according to the truth and they're spreading lies. Verse 18, they've gone astray. They're saying that the resurrection has already happened and they're just overthrowing the faith of people, Paul says. And so he's giving this, the next part and the part that I want us to focus on, he's kind of giving these words as an explanation for that. And he says, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone... If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. And now flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so I say verse 21 shows the great crossroads that all of us are at because it, he says here's here is here's where things diverge you can go to honor to dishonor you can be useful or useless but it's all contingent upon what a man being willing to cleanse himself from the things that Paul has just described the sin and that doesn't mean that he has the capacity to do it himself he, you have to keep it in context with what Paul is saying in the rest of scripture right How can anyone cleanse themselves? How can anyone be sanctified? Well it's only through the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ can only be had by submitting to him appealing to him in obedience and surrendering our lives and so the choice is left to us and I hope that Each of us will choose to be vessels for honor, choose to be useful to the Master, and continue to to trust in Him for cleansing and confess our sins continually. Please continue to pray about these things and meditate on them, and I look forward to studying with you again on Faithful Sayings.